0: Well, hello, friends. Welcome into this online space together and a very happy Mother's Day to you as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am finding I am learning quite a lot about myself during this global pandemic. So uh, I'm learning a lot about people around me also. I'm learning that some of my neighbors are conspiracy theorists, and I didn't know that. I'm learning that I'm pretty judgy towards people who hoard toilet paper Uh, But I have those same tendencies to stockpile when it comes to Miss Vicky's uh, sea salt and malt vinegar potato chips and Chicago mix from Costco. You might have your own list of essential items to survive the pandemic at home. I won't judge you. You don't judge mine. And unfortunately, I'm also learning that pandemics bring out really, really bad theology in people. I suppose this has always been true and probably always will be true because we're in this time of high stress. And so the presence of poor thinking comes to the forefront and it happens when we talk about who God is and how God works in our world. And that's really what the theology really means and I'm finding that it's amplified in this season and there's all kinds of bad theology that then gets amped up and exported because of course everyone and their dog has a social media account now and a platform from which to pontificate on. So an example of this is I was having a conversation with my neighbor, uh, a friend rather, uh, a few weeks ago and they wanted to convince me that the coronavirus was sent specifically and uniquely as a judgment from God on people who had lived wicked lives. Or uh, I read on uh, a very popular pastor in the United States uh, on his blog, when asked about COVID-19, he said this, God uses disease to bring particular judgments on those who reject him. Or take Ralph Drolinger. he's a Christian pastor. He leads a Bible study uh, for members of the US cabinet. And when he was asked about this topic, he said, well, disease is God's consequential wrath on our nation, end quote. And as a Christian person who tries to follow God in the way of Jesus, most clearly revealed in the person of Jesus, I have a very big problem with this kind of theology. It's bad theology because it's highly reductionistic to try and say that a specific horrible event in our world is God's specific act of judgment against a specific people group for specific sins. And one of the things that you'll notice is people that espouse those things seldom include themselves in that category of person who is on the receiving end. It's always God judging other people for other things. And the reality is, friend, we live in a fallen world, and bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. And we're gonna see today in our text in Jonah, chapter four, that one of the most intriguing discussions I think that happens between God and a human being in the Old Testament, in the book of Jonah. And we're gonna see that it's dangerously unhelpful and unwise for us or for you or I to step into the place of attributing specific actions to God. This is above your pay grade and mine and it should stay that way. So. We've already seen in our study in the book of Jonah over the past three weeks that this is the account of a man who, although he's a prophet, doesn't seem to understand God's heart very well. Jonah receives a a commission, an assignment from God to go and to take a message of repentance to a foreign nation, the nation of Assyria, specifically to the capital city of Assyria, the city of Nineveh. And instead of living into God's mercy for these people, Jonah runs away. And he runs in the opposite direction. And spends some time in a fish doing some repenting of his own. And then in chapter 2, we have this prayer that gives us a window into God. And into a window into God's compassion and God's heart, but not that much into Jonah. And then in chapter three, Jonah finally gets to the place where he delivers his message. And at the end of chapter three, the text says, when the people of the city of Nineveh changed their ways, they repented. And chapter three, verse 10 says, when God saw that what they had done and how they'd put a stop to their evil ways, God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So one might think at this point that Jonah would find this to be wondrous and fantastic news. And that he would throw a mission accomplished party. But instead of thanking God that the message that God had given him was received as delivered, God's mercy had been heeded, and it had triumphed over judgment, Jonah gets angry. Now pause and think about this for just a moment. Jonah, as we've seen in his story, is a monumental testimony to God's mercy. This is the one who ran away from God and God graciously invited him back and found him and spared him. This is the one who cried out to God and said, God, if you spare me, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I'm gonna fulfill all of my vows. I'll do everything I promised. And salvation comes from you alone. This is the one who sees the largest turning to God recorded in the Old Testament. And yet, when that happens, Jonah is also the one who gets angry because he sent out the RSVP for God's judgment and God's mercy showed up to the party instead. Listen to the tone that Jonah takes with God in chapter four. Didn't I say this before I left home? I knew you were gonna do this. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. You were slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I can't believe it. You're so eager to turn away from destroying people. How dare you do this, God? I'm struck by the fact when I read Jonah's story that each and every one of us holds thoughts about God, which are both true and yet also in many ways distorted. We each see through a glass dimly. Because You see, Jonah might actually give intellectual lip service to God's mercy, but Jonah is actually really obsessed with his own personal reputation. He might say and think, oh yeah, God is loving but he can't demonstrate that love for a person in need. See, how we think about God, friends, is important. It's also complicated. And for the person of Jonah, here we have a messenger sent by God to deliver a message from God of God's power who doesn't actually in his heart of hearts believe that God's goodness is strong enough to accomplish the message that he delivers. And yet, in God's wondrous and deep mercy, Jonah is redeemed, or the message that Jonah brings redeems and results in the redemption of people, and God works despite Jonah's stinky attitude. And make me pause and think, what about me, what about you? What are the thoughts that you carry around in your mind about God? And then what do you say that you believe about God? See, even though Jonah says, that he believes that God is merciful. Jonah's actions demonstrate that his real convictions are that God is angry and God is punitive. So we not only have to ask what we think about God and what we say about God and what we say we believe about God, we also have to ask ourselves if our actions are congruent with those things. How do we live? how does what you say you believe about God show up in your actions and in my actions? See friends, it's easy to say things like, oh, I trust God. But then, for example, not to seek medical treatment. And maybe in that moment you're saying, well, God only cares about spiritual stuff, not our physical bodies. Maybe you look to the future and it looks scary to you. And so instead of stepping into places of radical generosity with those around you in need, you're stingy and you're hoarding your resources instead of living and giving generously. You might sing songs like, oh God, I trust you. I look to you for help, but your actions don't live into those places. Friends, Your actions do speak louder than your words, and certainly they speak louder than your thoughts. And Jonah's actions are telling us the real story here because he goes up on a hilltop to wait and see the fireworks. Jonah is convinced that God is a God of justice who is going to punish the Ninevites because they are wicked and evil And he wants to actually have a front row seat to this. There's a sense almost of gleefulness that he's going to take in this encounter. He operates out of a very fixed mentality around cause and effect. In Jonah's mind, evil people always have evil things happen to them. And good people only have good things happen to them. But friend, you and I both know that the world is not as simple as that. Good people during this pandemic are going to get sick and some of them will die. And people who live far from God and who have carried out incredible evil will be unimpacted by this. Saint Augustine lived in the fifth century and he experienced some horrific global events And he sought to work out the questions of cause and effect. And after much careful observation, he was a student of theology, he was a student of philosophy, he was a student of history. He reaches this insightful conclusion. We do not know by what judgment these things are done or permitted to be done by God. All we know is that God is of the highest virtue, the highest wisdom, the highest justice, and that God is never unfair. Therefore, he concludes, it is not beneficial for us to try to make it make sense. In other words, it's not helpful or beneficial for us to say things like, well, I know why COVID-19 is here, God did it because of X or Y. The purposes of the Almighty might be opaque to you and me, but the heart of God's loving kindness never is. And see, this is a point that God drives home to Jonah by way of a powerful object, listen. Look with me at Jonah chapter four, verse six. I'm gonna draw your attention to a particular word that's used repeatedly in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter four, verse six says that God arranged for a leafy plant to grow, to provide shade for Jonah. So Jonah was grateful for the plant. But verse seven, God also arranged for a worm to eat the plant and so it died. And in Jonah four, verse eight, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And this word is used several other times in Jonah's story if you track back through the earlier chapters. And here's what I want us to catch in Jonah's story. There is a difference between what God allows and what God arranges. See, God sometimes arranges things in our lives for the purpose of teaching us, for correcting us, for growing us and shaping us into the character of Jesus or for turning our hearts back toward God. God arranged a messenger for Nineveh. God arranged a fish to swallow and deliver Jonah. And also God sometimes allows things into our lives and not all of these things are good things. Think about the story of Job for example. But God doesn't cause these things like global pandemics in in order to quote unquote teach us a lesson. That's faulty theological thinking. There is a difference between what God allows into our lives and what God arranges for your life and for my life. If we fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus is asked essentially the exact same question in Luke chapter 13. In current events then a tower had fallen on 18 people had been killed and some are saying, oh yeah, I know what that happened there. Those 18 people, they were the worst sinners in all of Jerusalem and so that's why God got them. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? No, not at all, Jesus says. Well then why did it happen? We do not know by what judgment these things are done or permitted to be done by God. All we know is that God is of the highest virtue, the highest wisdom, the highest justice, and that God is never unfair. New Testament scholar Raymond Brown says it this way, not everything that happens is God's will, but God's will is in everything that happens. In other words, not everything that happens in your life and in my life and in our world is God's desire, but God can work God's will within anything that happens. That's what Romans 8:28 is all about. God can work good things out of bad circumstances, but God is also not the cause of bad circumstances in your life. But Jonah is at the end of his rope, and he can't see this. He's not thinking straight. He's had it, and so he part pouts, part shouts to God, just like a toddler does. This is so horrible, so unfair. I could die. Death is totally better than living like this. And now we actually come to the punchline of the book of Jonah, where God comes to Jonah and asks a simple but profound question. Hey, Jonah. What is it that you think you have a right to? Do do you have a right to that plant? And the right, correct answer is no. Oh, then do you have a right to be angry that the plant is no longer there? And here we see that Jonah's attitude has not shifted despite his repeated encounters with God. He's so angry. He's so hardened in his heart and his actions, it's as if he is already spiritually, emotionally dead. And God says to Jonah, if we were to put this in the language of the New Testament, Jonah, look at the wildflowers. Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work to make their clothing Yet Solomon, the king of ancient Israel in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. So if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers which are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, God will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? See friends, my sense is that some of you, some of us, need to hear that message today. In this time, it's easy to feel grumpy. It's easy to feel forsaken. It's easy maybe to feel even deeply angry at God, or at COVID-19 for the toll that it is taking on you or on all of us. And it becomes easy sometimes to turn that angst or that anger toward God but Jonah is pouring out all of his emotional energies and pity into this plant. And God says to him, hey Jonah, um, if you care about that plant so much, why don't you multiply that by about, let's say 120,000 or so, and then add in all of the animals, and you might actually be at close to my heart, Jonah the love of God expressed measureless and strong. And we've been together in these moments and inhabiting this account of Jonah. This has been the thing that struck me the most and that I take away from our time together in this book. And that is simply this, don't make God's love too narrow. The old hymn says, the love of God is broader than the measure of the mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. I don't know what your takeaway from our study of Jonah has been, but I want you to take a few minutes and think about it, and then maybe write it up in the chat section uh, if that's something you like to participate in. Or maybe if you wanna process that a little bit more, then just email that to me later this week. I'd love to hear and know what you're learning and processing about causality and about God and about God's love for people during this time of COVID-19. And one of the ways that we respond to God's love is in prayer. And so I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer together and then we'll respond in song. God, we are so grateful to be recipients of your love. It's not because we deserve it or because we've earned it. It's because you are so merciful and kind. And so continue to teach us that in this season. Continue to fill us with your love that we would be able to demonstrate it to others around us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit we pray, amen.